Welcome to another edition of Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show. In this edition, I'll be talking to the creators of Starring Sonya Devereaux, as there's a new issue in that series that's out called Scream Queen Summer Camp Massacre, which features the likenesses of Brink Stevens, Tiffany Shepis, Linnea Quigley, and Michelle Bauer. I will be talking to the writers, Todd Livingston and Nick Capitanis. And artist Brian and Brendan Frame. That's happening next segment. So it's a very long interview. You will love this interview. Trust me. Then in What's Anthony T. Watching? Well, let's just say 2022 is getting off to a rough start in terms of me watching horror, thrillers, and sci-fi films. Let's just leave it at that, quite frankly. But first, the news. File this under movies predicted it. A month and a half ago, I watched Judd Apatow's latest film, The Bubble, in which one of the characters in the film was an actress that was recruited via TikTok. Now, I'm telling you this because this has just happened in the horror world. Seriously, as social media personality Bryce Hall is set to star in a new horror film called Skill House. This is coming from BladeDisgusting.com. The article, which was originated from The Wrap, reveals that Josh Strolberg, who co-wrote Spiral from the Book of Saw will be directing this film and writing the screenplay. This film is supposed to be dealing with social media and the influencer culture, exploring how people will go to achieve online fame. Now, here's the problem I have with this. Why is a social media personality headlining a film? This looks very bad. In fact, I don't understand how you can have tens of thousands of followers on TikTok and now you get your own film in which you're the leading man when you have zero acting experience. This, I don't get this, seriously. Why couldn't the producers of this film find an actor? This is a slap to every actor who works hard, who goes through the motions. But sure, you can do some crazy videos, promote some stuff online through Instagram, dance on TikTok, and then get rewarded with a film in which you're the lead actor in it. This is a slap. I don't get this. Seriously, is this going to be the new way Hollywood casts films through TikTok? Because if that's the case, then these movies are going to suck. I'm going to tell you that right now. They're going to suck. It is a slap to every actor and every actress that has ever trained to be an actor who has put in 10, 12-hour days filming so that this kid with 10,000 followers gets to have his own film in which he is the lead star. Seriously. I don't 
get it. This should be very alarming here, people. That if this film succeeds, this may change filmmaking. And I don't want to see filmmaking change. I like to see actors and actresses who hone their craft. I don't need some social media personality walking in from TikTok. Having their lead role while all the other hard-working actors and actresses left out in the cold. Seriously, this is not good for this business. I really think this is such a bad idea. Seriously. Will somebody stop this film? Seriously. I don't get it. I don't get it. I never knew who Bryce Hall was until I read this article. Why am I hearing about this in a horror website. I don't get it. I don't want to hear about TikTok or social media personalities. I don't get all this technology. Judd Apatow's The Bubble really predicted it on the head when one of its characters is in a major franchise that was recruited off TikTok. This amazes me. And it's really a slap to everyone who has worked hard over the years to hone their craft in acting, whether it's in the big budget films or low budget films. It's just a slap in the face. And it's just disgusting. Seriously. This can't be the future of filmmaking. Please know that we're going to draft people from TikTok to act in a major film. I don't want to see that. Seriously. Moving on. If you thought casting on TikTok was bad. Kevin Smith, you know, has a horror film that nobody wants to release. I'm talking about his film Kilroy Was Here. Well, Kevin Smith has finally found a way to release this film. We've been waiting for this film since forever, since a trailer was already released for this film, but they have finally found a distributor or a partner should I say. Now, don't think about this film coming to VOD anytime soon because, well, technically, this partner does not do VODs. This partner does NFTs. Will somebody tell me what an NFT is? Seriously? Because literally, I have no clue what is going on here. And I'll read more into this story. Smith and the producers of the film partnered with Secret Network's Legend AO to launch NFTs of their horror anthology, Kilroy Was Here. This will be the first film released in this format. Before I go into more of the story, this better not be the future of filmmaking like casting social media personalities on TikTok. The thing will be launched as a 5,555-piece generative art NFT collection on Secret Network's primary NFT minting platform, Legend AO. If I'm pronouncing this company wrong, I do apologize. But I've never heard of this company, to be fair. Now, along with the movie, it comes with content from the film, behind-the-scenes footage, and a commentary track. All the normal stuff you would get on a Blu-ray. First of all, what is an NFT? I've heard of NFTs, but 
to do a film like that is ridiculous. To me, NFTs are like cryptocurrency. I cannot hold it in my hand. And to do a film released that way is so ridiculous. This better not be the future of filmmaking, quite frankly. As this is really so dumb. Why do we need NFTs to get films? It's like they want you to buy 5,555 NFTs in order to watch this film. I don't know how much that costs. What is that? $30? $50? Because something tells me it is not like the normal, you know, $10 where you go pay for it at a movie theater. It's so ridiculous. Seriously, people. NFTs. It's just like cryptocurrency. It's so stupid. Why do we need to bring NFTs into filmmaking and distribution now? Stick with the Blu-rays. Stick with the DVDs. Stick with the VOD. But I don't need NFTs because people like me are not going to know what an NFT is. It's going to make things more difficult for people. It's bad enough we're moving towards streaming. Now we're moving towards NFTs as well. What good can come from this? Seriously. How can someone make a profit of a, on a film on a bunch uh, of NFTs sold? I don't get this. Seriously, it's stupid. And for Kevin Smith, who is such a great filmmaker... Why is he doing this to his fans? Because most of his fans are probably over the age of 40. Why do we need to figure out how much NFTs cost? Will somebody explain an NFT to me? Because seriously, to me, it's something that's like out of fantasy land. Where it's like a make-believe object. I don't know. NFTs and filmmaking. Please, no. Sorry. I will stick to DVD, Blu-ray, and VOD. That's it. Sorry, Kevin. I'm not going to go buying all 5,555 NFTs. I won't do it. Seriously. I just will not do it. And this really hurts me that I have to take time out of my podcast to go after Kevin Smith here. Because the guy's a very nice guy. I met him just this past November at Rhode Island Comic Con. Very nice guy. Even introduced himself to everyone in line before at my photo op with him. I did not like doing this. Seriously, I don't like going after Kevin Smith here. This is worse than not having a major horror convention in the southern New England area. But I have to call him out when things like this happen. I'm sorry, I love Kevin Smith. I can't wait for his next film, Clerk's Story. But when you do something that irritates me, like releasing a film through NFTs, I have to call it out. It pains me to do it. It just does. I do the same if 
AEW did something utterly stupid. It just pains me that I'm talking about Kevin Smith and this idiotic idea of releasing Kilroy Was Here through NFTs. But it's a news item and I have to talk about it. It's bad enough I had this plus I now have TikTok stars trying to become movie stars. Now I have to deal with this. And this segues to wrestling news. As this is another edition of this bleeping wrestling promotion. That's right, I'm talking about WWE. And they've done something that has pissed me off. Seriously. It's bad enough I don't watch the product enough. But this booking decision really got me angry. And I'm talking about the main event for WrestleMania Backlash. It's going to be... Drew McIntyre and RK Bro versus Roman Reigns and the Usos with no titles on the line. That's right, the WWE Championship and the Universal Championship will not be defended in the great state of Providence, Rhode Island. That feels like a slap in the face, seriously. Now, first of all, I wasn't planning on buying tickets to this event because I'm kind of sick of this promotion as is. Why would I buy a ticket to this event where it's like 20 minutes from where I live? Seriously. Second, I can watch it on Peacock for $9.99. So why would I go to the event? But this feels like a slap in the face in the way they are treating the Providence market. Because every other WWE pay-per-view or premium event, whatever you call it now, has had a championship title match as its main event. It has Roman Reigns defending whatever title he has, but we are not getting a title defense in Providence, Rhode Island. Now, this six-man tag could be changed into a winner-take-all match after this podcast airs as I'm recording on May 1st. But still, this is very stupid. If they change it to a winner-take-all match, because quite frankly, if it's a winner-take-all match, a team can lose the belts without being pinned. And the other team can win the belts without actually pinning somebody. I hate those types of matches. So, either way, Providence, Rhode Island gets screwed. I just don't get WWE. Sure, they'll bring out some great main events, but every pay-per-view or premium live event should always have a world title match. Either the Universal or the WWE World Championship match. And it looks like I'm get, we're getting neither here. Especially in Providence, Rhode Island, which they have gracefully screwed over. Why would I buy a ticket to this show if it's a pay-per-view and I'm not getting a world title match? If I'm not getting to see Roman Reigns defend his title? Or they could pull Swerve and do it on next week's SmackDown or Raw. But then, it's kind of late because the show is on May 8th, days away. You need a proper build for that type of match. 
Which, not just throw it in there at the last second. Either way, this looks very stupid. Seriously. I am so glad I did not buy a ticket to this show. And if this is the reason that they kept the Dunkin' Donuts Center in lockdown so that AEW can't run there, you're really putting a pathetic show in that building. And you're also screwing the fans who have already brought tickets to it, as this show looks like it's going to sell out. You at least put an effort and say, thank you for selling out this building. Thank you, Providence, for selling out this premium live event. But no, they're not saying that because, quite frankly, by not putting a proper world title match at the top of the card, that's telling you that WWE does not care about the Providence market. Sure, if it was in Boston, they would put the title match on, but not Providence or Island. It's a secondary market, no problem. But if we were in Boston, you will definitely get a world title match at a pay-per-view. Uh, I can't stand WWE. Seriously. That's why I keep calling this wrestling promotion, this bleeping wrestling promotion. Because this bleeping wrestling promotion does really dumb things. Seriously. And to who are going to sell out a pay-per-view for you guys, it's wrong. Seriously. Let's move on to something that I'm really excited for. On the April 20th edition of Dynamite, AEW and NJPW New Japan Pro Wrestling announced that they will be having a joint pay-per-view on June 26th at the United Center in Chicago, Illinois called Forbidden Door. This will be a joint pay-per-view of the two wrestling promotions. This is something I've been really looking forward to for quite a while. Ever since AEW was formed, I was hoping for a joint AEW New Japan Pro Wrestling show, and we are getting it. Now, tickets for the event go on sale May 6th. I will bet this show will sell out quickly, and it will probably be much better than the ROH MSG show back in 2019. When New Japan run a joint show with Ring of Honor in New York City during WrestleMania weekend. I really cannot wait for Forbidden Door. Seriously, this is going to be an epic show. Some of the matches I would love to see on this show. I would love to see Kuchika Okada versus Brian Danielson. I think that would be a very good match. But if... Kenny Omega comes back around that time. I don't know if you do Omega Okada again just yet. I think really the smart thing is with Okada is to have him go up against Brian Danielson. I think that would be a money match and probably main event the show. As I really think that could be a match of the year caliber type of match. Also love to see CM Punk versus Kenta. That would be another great match. FTR. Against whoever is holding the IWGP World Tag Team Championship. See them go up for that tag team titles. That would be an interesting thing to see. I also would love to see maybe Tanahashi versus Cole. Samoa Joe versus Tomohiro Ishii. I think that would be another match of the year quality candidate. 
I could also see John Moxley, Shingo Takai. That would be another one if I'm pronouncing that last name right. If I'm not, I'm, I apologize. But I think that would be another really good match. I could see John Moxley, Naito. That would be another one I would be interested in seeing. How about finally giving us Sammy Guevara versus Will Ospreay? That would be something of a match to see. Both of these guys are crazy in the ring. You could also maybe do Zack Sabre Jr. versus Moxley. Or him versus Danielson. Or maybe do LIJ versus the House of Black. I think that would be an awesome six-man match. There's a lot of combinations you can go here. The Lucha Bros versus Girls of Destiny. There's a ton of matches you can make out of this Forbidden Door event. I'm really looking forward to this pay-per-view, seriously, on June 26th. It'll be one month after Double or Nothing. But hey, I'm sure this will be a big pay-per-view, for sure. Mock my words, it will be a big pay-per-view, probably one of AEW's biggest pay-per-views of all time. Because they're gonna, you know they're going to build it up. You know New Japan's probably going to build it up, too, once they get Dominion settled. And once AEW gets Double or Nothing settled, we'll have a clearer picture of what we're going to see at that event. So this could be a very interesting pay-per-view. I can't wait to see it on June 26th. And with that, that's the news. Welcome to Dark Discussions, your place for the discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. A weekly podcast here, the discussion is about the most recent horror and genre films. Intelligent talk on a genre that deserves intelligence. A conversation between co-hosts discussing not only the film, but also the connotation that the directors and screenwriters are trying to articulate. When you want more than a review, listen to Dark Discussions. And speaking of perception, there's just one more scene I want to talk about, which is after Caleb discovers that Kyoto's a robot, Kyoto kind of peels off her skin, showing him what's underneath. Now, wait a minute. I know where you're going with this, but tell me you weren't already thinking this 15 minutes earlier in the film. Exactly what he's thinking at that moment. Which is he's a robot, too. Oh, I considered the possibility. Right, and that's what I like, is the fact that the writers were smart enough to know that this is what the audience would be thinking. We've all seen Blade Runner. <laughs> right. Exactly. www.darkdiscussions.com Wherever podcasts are found. Welcome back to Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show. I am here with writers Todd Livingston, Nick Capitanis, and artists Brendan and Brian Frame. As they are here to talk about their comic series... Starring Sonia Devereaux as their latest issue of that series, Scream Queen Summer Camp Massacre, which features the likenesses of Brink Stevens, Tiffany Shepis, Linnea Quigley, and Michelle Bauer are in stores. How are you all guys doing today? Great. Wonderful. I can't doing speak for everyone, but Nick is doing good. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having us, Anthony. You're How welcome. Thank you for having us. Uh, are we doing the 
Are we doing the horror part or the wrestling part today? The horror part. Okay. All right. Good. 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 We're, we're talking about screen queens. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. I always like to start off with this question about somebody getting into a certain industry. What made each of you want to get into the wonderful world of comic books? Well, the Frame Brothers, when we were kids, started collecting comic books. And we kind of had a natural ability for drawing. And we were kind of into comic books. We were also into baseball cards. And we kind of came to the realization that you can't draw baseball cards. So we went ahead and, and <laughs> ditched the baseball cards, went into the comic books. Good choice, yeah, boys. Good we choice. wish we still had those cards now. They're probably worth a hell of a lot more money than when we sold them. Yeah. True. Did you end up selling them or just chucking them? No, we sold them. Oh, good. Well, it's, it, at least you got something. Right? Well, mine probably ended up like 25 years ago, though. Yeah. <laughs> it was probably 30 years ago. It was a long time ago. Yes. Yeah. What about our writers? What, 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 what? Well, uh, Todd and I started doing comedy years ago, stand-up comedy, in a group called Open Season. Uh, we toured the country and, well, internationally, I guess, if you include Canada in that. Uh, I do. You, you I, do? I, I consider Canada a nation. So, yes, internationally. Huh. Well, we're internationally famous comedians. And um, after that, we said, what else can we do now that we've conquered that world? And, uh, and I said we, baseball cards. Yes. And we're like, <laughs> I knew you looked familiar from my past. Uh-huh. Like, who's who's going to draw baseball cards for us? Like, and we said those kids who were, who were suck. We suckered out of um, those baseball cards thirty years ago. So and we decided to write baseball cards, um, but they didn't appreciate um, us writing jokes on the back. They wanted like stats. Yes, and it is hard to come up. So they fired us. Come up with numerical jokes, but you know, <laughs> we gave it a shot. Most most of it was .69, and we thought that was really hilarious. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, bats right, um, throws left, swings middle. <laughs> it was never. They didn't like that. Thro- throws right, bats wrong. That was a good one. <laughs> but anyway, from there. Todd and I were uh, like, well, you know, we're lazy and we don't want to go outside and do stuff. What can we do writing? And um, so we both independently came up with the idea of doing a comic strip and talked to each other and said, how about a comic strip? And then we jinxed each other and bought each other a Coke. And um, and so we started doing a, writing a comic strip and we found these two incredible artists who could help us out. Um, who is so that? They could, uh, well, they couldn't do it, and then they suggested we get the Frame Brothers. Oh, of course. Yeah. They were good guys. That's it's another one we had my, them killed. That was another one of my baseball quality jokes. It was actually the Frame Brothers were our first choice and only choice. And so we started doing America Junior together, the four of us. Yeah, Nick, that joke was a real home run. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. Well... <laughs> <laughs> What were some of the artists and r- comic writers inspired you to do comics for a living? Uh, artists uh, go with uh, Jack Kirby, uh, Alex Toth, Steve Rude, John Byrne, George Perez, you know, all the classics. Yeah. Kevin McGuire and all the rest. Uh, yeah, for, me it was, 
for me, it was Satchel Paige, Babe Ruth, uh, <laughs> Mickey Mantle, of course, was a big one. I never wanted, I never wanted to, to write comics. Um, I did collect them when I was a kid, um, but never had any intention of writing comics. A, another writing partner and I, Bob Tunnell, uh, we wrote a screenplay, and um, it was a, a, about uh, like a big monster rally, like House of Frankenstein. Um, and as soon as we finished it, then Universal announced that they were going to make Van Helsing, and so the movie had no chance. But uh, a skilled and famous artist besides the frames uh, named Neil Bokes said he wanted to make it into a comic book. He would draw it as a graphic novel. And so he adapted our script um, and Image Comics put it out and it was a big hit and then um, all of a sudden I'm a comic book writer. Mm -hmm. And because Todd did that, I became a comic book writer later. Because I can I can make Nick do all the work. Yes. And, and, and I'm happy to do it because I have no life except, you know, hanging Baseball. out at this poolside, which no one can see, unfortunately. With your giant umbrella in it. I do look fantastic. You do and you look magnificent. Mm -hmm. And this this blowfish. Can you guys see that? <laughs> this you is, have to put it actually in front of your face. <laughs> this is, ter this is oh, terrible yeah, is. radio. Terrible radio. Yeah, this is only for radio, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> now, I came across starring Sonia... Devereaux last year when I was at Terrificon at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, where I met the Fram brothers. Tell me about the series, and how did all of you come up with the idea for the series? Well, originally, Sonya appeared in the webcomic that the four of us worked on called America Junior, which was about a small town that finds out in their town charter they joined the union on a temporary basis and it just expired, so they have to become their own country. And Sonia was the uh, ex-second wife of the main character, Darren. Third, third wife? Uh, I, so she, like was, she was his final wife. He wasn't, <laughs> wasn't going to get married again after that. Oh, uh, yeah. So, we, at the, you know, as she first appeared, she was a B-movie actress, and it, we, the four of us kind of was like, man, we should just do one of her movies. So we, for like a month, because the strip ran Monday to Friday, one a day, for a month we did her movie, which was uh, Vampire Revolution 4, The French Kiss of Death. And then we basically just enjoyed doing it so much, we just spun it out into its own comic book. Mm -hmm. Todd and uh, Nick, would you agree? Yes, the the frames were were drawing posters because, uh, as like I said, we only did it five days a week. So on the weekends we had uh, just one one shots of something going on in uh, an American Junior. And so they, on a couple of occasions, drew posters of the horrible movies that Sonya was in, um, and that was, that was an inspiration for us to spin it out as well. So so you know everybody contributed to this except me. I think I don't know if I contributed anything. You were the uh, handsome muse. Yes, I was. I was. I was there to inspire the others to create art. Did we lose Todd? No, I'm here. I'm okay. listening. Okay, listening. And what did what did you do in all of that, Todd? Went to the pool. No, no, that was me, Todd. Oh, I went to the pool. Yeah. Um, we'd done the the comic strip for about I don't know six years. Often we we did two separate runs of it, and you know we we really wanted to do a traditional book 
comic book um, instead of the the web strip. You know, they're completely different forms. Um, and so we we just found a, a great groove into adapting these fictional movies into a 30-page comic. Uh, except for um, Screen Queen Summer Camp Massacre, which is 48 pages long. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to, um, you know, toot our own horn here, but I think it's a brilliant freaking idea uh, what we've come up with. That in a, in a comic book, we have a movie uh, in, in, in its entirety, and we also see the real life of Sonya behind the scenes. So, so you get both real life and a film, a complete film, that's, you know, the, the B movies that, that we always go to the midnight movies to watch, the, the stuff that was on um, Cinemax late night. Uh, and, and so you get to enjoy a whole bunch of stuff throughout this and they're funny you know that's really the main selling point in, in my mind is that they're funny and they look fantastic and sonya's um really sexy I, we just got some um some facebook messages from a guy yesterday who was like hitting on sonya thinking she's a real person <laughs> we get Dude. those we get those more often than seems possible i got i got a telemarketing call today um, looking for Sonia. Uh-huh. Wow. Really? It was, yeah, it was one of those, there's something wrong with your account. Someone has, has charged something to your account. Please, you know, hit one to talk to a representative. So I hit one and they, they were trying to reach Sonia Devereaux. Oh my, how, how would that even happen? I don't know. <laughs> I guess through the Instagram account. Wow. Because my phone number is attached ah, to that. That's fantastic. And did you so say, I, uh, w- one second, please, I'll go get her. Yes, Hello, I read them on for about 30 Sonya. minutes. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, what's that phone number again? What made you want to also explore the inner workings of Hollywood in the comics? Well, well that's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's an extension of, of Sonya. Um, you know, I, I lived in L.A. for close to 30 years, and was involved in the business and um it, it's just it's such a ridiculous business <laughs> movies and this you know b movies are such a a small and tight community it, it's i don't know it's just it's it would just made me want to poke fun at it i don't know mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean it's people... like when you see a, a dog or cat you you want to pet it that's the feeling yeah and and people love movies they love the behind the scenes stuff they love the bloopers um and uh well years ago i don't even know if you remember this todd we we pitched an idea for a tv show called the pilots right it was, uh-huh. all, it was all about a production company that puts out pilots they never get made into tv shows so it was, it was a little bit like sonia in that they're all standalone television shows and um the people we pitched it to they had they had no idea why anybody would be interested in the inner workings of television. And we're like, everyone's super interested in that, you know? That's right. Because they understand TV. They don't know why anybody else would be interested in it. And, you know, my thought was, well, people don't know the inner workings of, of being a police officer or being a firefighter or being a doctor, but you've got those shows on all the time. People, people just dig seeing how it, how it all works behind the scenes. That was profound, Nick. Thank you, Todd. 
the series is influenced, in my opinion, by various B movies from the 80s and 90s. What were some of the influences behind the character in terms of actresses? Well, <laughs> the, she's based on an ex-girlfriend of mine who was a horrible, horrible person. <laughs> and Sonia, Sonia is a horrible, horrible person. <laughs> she is just a narcissist, self-absorbed. She just cares about getting ahead. Um, but she's really cute and charming. Well, I, I think Todd sees that in Sonia, but I, I certainly never do. I always write her as genuine and, and a little bit um, humble. Almost. That's what I mean, makes she, her so she, evil. Yeah, she know she knows what she's got, but I don't think she really uses it um, for for evil gain, Todd. You know, she's she's there. She helps a lot of movies get made. You know, she's a good person in my mind. And the Frame Brothers, do you draw her as evil or as sweet? Sweetly evil. Hmm. <laughs> what? It's like it's like a McDonald's sauce. Sweet, sweet and evil. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, visually, I don't know if we actually based her off a person or not so long ago. I think we just came up with, like, a hairstyle that we liked. And I think it, initially, though, she had a different hairstyle. I think she looked like, you know, maybe a Jennifer Aniston hairstyle from Friends, one of those. And it just didn't fit right. And then you know, at the last second, we changed it to the hair she has now. Yeah. So when she first appeared in the strip, she had the hair she has now. There was, like, a se secret... I only know if Todd and Nick knew that. Or <laughs> but, and, yeah. and just like actual women, she's she becomes prettier as she grows older. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Um, oddly enough, I don't think she's grown older. How does that even happen? Well, it all takes see, place the, the, the sun. <laughs> the Earth goes around the sun, and we measure time by how many days that takes, and we call it a year. Oh, go on. <laughs> and uh, the Earth's not flat, as yeah. you may some people talking about, and and then we measure the count, the number of rotations around the sun, and then we get if we get ten, then we have a decade. Huh? Ten ten rotations around the sun is a decade. Okay. All yeah. right. <laughs> that's not me. You know, it's not the frame bro talking. That's science. Oh, I've yeah. heard of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's Nick, true. Nick's just funning because the Greeks invented counting. Yeah, we we had a different system for it, was, but it was but passed got, down from generation to generation, and he yeah. never lets us forget it. <laughs> I noticed that each story starts with some sort of introduction before getting into the film that you're supposed to be reading. Why do you always start the story that way instead of jumping right into the film? Well, that's a that's a clever little premise that. I believe Todd came up with that. My my favorite might be the first one that that we did, where Sonia is at a a con. She's at a like a horror con or something. And uh, do you, do you know what the name of that was, Todd? Which uh, con it, it was, was called ShiverCon. ShiverCon. So she had her table there. She was signing pictures, and they were also premiering her her latest movie. I mean, that was just so clever. You know, we've we've kept that premise up. So every film is set up by her hanging out with somebody, and they watch the movie together. And then after the movie's done, they come back, and there's some more hijinks, spelled H-I-J-I-N-X. Um, Which is going to be my starting word on Wordle tomorrow. 
Good idea, Todd. Mike, there might be too many letters, but put in as many as you can. And, uh, <laughs> and it also just gives it, the reader, you know, a chance to know, get to know Sonya as a person, as opposed to every issue she's a character. So you kind of get a little bit of continuity, I guess, where you understand that she is an actress instead of just like, it's just a book of anthology stories, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this is really about the actress, not not just the movies. What attracted me to this series was the fact that legendary B-movie director Fred Olin Ray did the introduction for the Complete Movie Collection Volume 1. How did he get approached to do the introduction for the graphic novel? Is that what attracted me to the novel and the character? Go ahead, Todd. All right. Todd. I've known Fred for many, many years. And so when when we decided that we wanted to do a collection of Sonya's B-movies, it, it just seemed natural to get Fred involved. Um, since he's, he's a, as you said, he's a legendary B-movie director and producer. I mean, he's right up there with Corman, as far as I'm concerned. Is that uh, Roger or Hardy? That would be Roger, who okay. just celebrated his 409th birthday, I think. That's fantastic. Yes. So I've known, I've known Fred for a very long time. So I, I reached out to him and I asked if he would be interested. I'd actually sent him earlier issues of the book so he could read them and he loved it. And so it was, that was a, that was a very easy thing to do with, to get his involvement. Yeah, but I'm and he said, so grateful. We're so grateful for him. He said a lot of really sweet and insightful things about the comic book and, you know, related it to his career as well which was kind of exactly what we were going for, you know? I mean, we can I just say we are the uh, Fred Olin Ray of comic books? No, yes. I can't say that. I can't say that. Well, you just did, so I, I did, guess it's... I did. Way. I can <laughs> say that. After we make 209 more, yes, I know. you can. I know. The guy's pumping up, out like 10 movies a year, so so we got, we got a little work to catch up. And uh, yeah. not only did he write the introduction, did you see that he's actually in one of our comic books? He stars in one? Yes, in fact, we're getting right to that. Right on. Moving nice on to the comic in which Fred Olin Ray is in, Scream Queen Summer Camp Massacre. How did this story come about? Well, we've, we've you know, been trying to cover a lot of different genres, so we got to the slasher genre. And Todd, again, is our connection to all the Scream Queens that are actually in the film. We, uh... Wanted to have a director in it, and who better than Fred Olin Ray? So, you know, this this is all Todd's connections in the Hollywood world, uh, knowing these folks, uh, being friendly enough with them, and, you know, and I was putting out a good enough product that they'd want to be involved in it. Well, wasn't uh, Brink? She was, like, in negotiations with uh, American Mythology about appearing in a book or something. Wasn't that a thing? I, I don't know if that's the case. She did want to be in uh, an issue of Sonya. That's published by American Mythology. Yes. And so what so I said she, is true. So she contacted you, Todd? No. Um, we were. I was told, as well, the, the publisher was told that Brink was interested in being in starring Sonya Devereaux. And so that was brought to my attention, and I got excited and... Thought it would be fun to have um, a couple of other screen queens as well. Michelle Bauer, who's worked with Brink quite a bit, and Tiffany, Tiffany. Sheppes. 
who I've known for a long time is wonderful. I don't know Linnea. I mean, I've met Linnea once, but I don't, I'm not really friends with her. But Troy Froman, an actor who was in the previous issue, is friends with her. And he said, hey, I was just in this really cool comic book. Do you want to be a part of it? And she said, yes. And so Troy Froman kind of introduced us uh, to Linnea. And when she learned that Brink and Tiffany and Michelle and Fred were involved, she was happy to be a part of it. And I, it would, it's just thrilling to have those three iconic scream queens together in a comic, in a movie, in a comic, yep. along with Tiffany. And they, they've, they've all worked together before, started films together before, worked with Fred before. So it really was perfect. Um, and the funny so, thing is, uh, Linnea came in so late that we had actually drawn the main cover without Linnea on it. So then we had to add her in after the fact. Luckily, we had room. And, and did, and like we left so space seamlessly. For you did so seamlessly. Yeah, I think it almost seemed like we left room for her because we knew it was going to happen. <laughs> and we just photoshopped her right in there. Bam, it was or done. Or some other generic image of manipulation software. If we can't, yes. we can't say that. Photoshop. Photoshop. <laughs> so the, the premise of this film, Anthony, is that um, all the screen queens get together uh, to watch the movie they just did with Fred. And Fred comes over as well. They put the movie on. We get to watch the whole thing. They all they all star in the movie, but as different characters. So they all have different names. Fortunately, all those names are the same initials, um, so that I could keep them all straight as we went through it. And keep and, us um, straight while we were drawing it. There, there you go. <laughs> and uh, and at the end of the movie, you know, we go back to the the real life. And there it, it, there's a twist in it. It's a movie within a movie within a comic book. We like to say. Which, um, you know, I think it's the only time it's ever been done. So we've, you know, kind of warped time and space with this one. And the world is a better place because of it. What was it like? Yes, we, even, we even snuck in a Higgs boson particle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I snorted. It's a shame that we're not drawing it and the frames aren't writing it, because they're actually funnier than we are. Looks at everything. Yeah. Brandon oh, and Brian, what was it like trying to draw each of these actresses to make them look as accurate as possible? Uh, it was one word, Google. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually kind of hard. <laughs> uh, try, just trying to find reference from movies from 30 years ago. Uh, I mean, we did the best we could. I think it turned out pretty good, but it yeah, wasn't uh, wasn't that easy. I think but, it turned out great. I mean, you can definitely tell the difference between all the characters, and you know that they are the actresses that they're they're portraying. Um, yeah. And I I know usually you guys get a lot of reference photos from the person. Um, is it that you didn't need them, or that they didn't provide them for this project? They did not provide. But fortunately, you have a whole bunch of stuff on the internet for it. Yeah, like that one word. Google. Yep. Google. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we. Uh, I guess we were trying to draw them in their prime. You know, yes. from back in the day, they would be most recognizable from when they were the the biggest stars. So that was really the goal. Yeah. Because it's you know our comic book universe. Sure, they're they can all be actresses now. Why not? You know, we can do whatever we want. It's our own little yeah. universe. As I said earlier, Sonya hasn't aged. 
Why should they? <laughs> exactly. You know? right. Did the actresses ever give you guys feedback about the way they looked in the art of the comic or what was written to your knowledge? No. The only thing uh, that, that I've heard is that they thought it looked fantastic. Yeah. Nothing nothing but compliments. You know, I'm sure that was the, the finished book because we never heard anything while we were working on it. Right. Yeah. They, I, I don't know that we share anything with them as we were gone. You know, it's once once they sign over the rights for us to do it, you know, we we're 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 on our way. We're not we're not uh, we're not backing down. This is our craft. Actually, we would, but never gave them an opportunity to. So. Yeah, we're wimps. <laughs> Todd might have sent like images to Brink or Linnea. I'm not sure. I did. Yes, they all got a copy of the script, and they all said it was super funny. And I showed them the pencil and inks and the colors, and they just said, "Can't wait to see it all together." Cool. And yeah. then they worked their asses off to promote it afterwards. What was it, the, the communication between all four of you during the production of the comic? The, the four of us? Yes. Whether it's sharing uh, different panels or script changes, what well, was the, it uh, like? The writers email us the script. You know, uh, we print it out. Brendan, that's me, is the penciler, so I break down the, the pages you know, do thumbnail layouts, and then I start on page one, I pencil it when it's done. I also do the lettering by hand, so it's the pencils and the lettering in pencil. I, uh, e- we email it to Todd and Nick for approval, for, you know, read over the word balloons for edits, and then when it's approved, it gets it comes back, or and it actually it doesn't come back because it's email. But then Brian would start inking it. And then I'll ink over the lettering. Yeah, as, as far that. as Todd and I, you know, we come up with the uh, storyline. Then one of one of the two of us, you know, we we shared this responsibility of doing the first draft of it, so doing the brunt of the work, and then uh, share back and forth until we get it where both of us love it. Uh, and then we send it to the Frame Brothers, and as as they send us the pages with the uh, words in there, we're like, oh, why did we write that? Please change this word or change that <laughs> sentence, and then then it's perfect. So let let me interject if I can. No, that they that Brendan and Brian send us a full page each page. They don't send individual panels. They'll do a page, and we'll look at the page as a whole, and then Brian will ink it, and Brendan will send us another page, and so it goes like like that. Yeah, and you know, seldom do we have notes, but if but if I like say. Oh, you know, I'd, I'd rather her be more to the left and looking that way. They'll say, "F you," and uh, they keep it as it is. So, you know, it's a lot of give and take. Oh, we don't use initials. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, this is a family-friendly podcast, so I yeah, can of course, go back of over course, that. Of course, of so. course. And then uh, we send the pages off to the colorist. Well, this screen queens was colored by industry veteran Matt Webb, who's colored also a couple of our previous issues, and he always does a great job. And he's a nice. Brit. Yes. It's nice to use Indeed. different colorists just because it helps differentiate the movies. It gives each movie an individual look. So yeah. we like uh, mixing up the colorists when we can. Mm-hmm. The comic has great cover art with the Scream Queen's front and center. What gave you the idea to have the design of the cover art be something like that? As that would be something that would probably stand out 
back in the video store days. Well, that's kind of the what we're going for with the covers is not so much as a comic book cover, but as a movie poster. So our design thought process is more towards movie poster as opposed to comic book. Because the initial idea was that the covers or the main cover was the movie poster, like in a frame that you would see, you know, like in a DVD a, case. Yeah, DVD right. case, or or you would see at a theater. But and then we but always, none of Sonya's movies would be in a theater, so DVD case or a, or a B movie theater. Yeah. <laughs> Um, now here's here's a place where the frames do let us have a little bit of interaction with them on on drawing. Um, they'll they'll come up with four or five sketches of what they think the, the main thing should be, and uh, Todd and I say, oh, we like two, or I like four, I like I like this part of number three. If you can throw that into number five, you know. So then they, we just ignore all that and draw number one. Right. Right. Exactly. Like it? Just or, kidding, just kidding. And hope it doesn't turn into a big number two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they actually listen to us at that point. I don't I don't know what's going on. You know, maybe they're a little more relaxed just with the cover. But uh, you know, that that's that's the golden time for, for our relationship here. How yeah, well, we always we always have a variant cover for the uh, Sonya. Because, you know, everybody does variant covers now, and we just love all the doing the classic comic book parody covers. And what was what was the variant this time? It was the Avengers 181. 181 by George Perez. You know, seven of you will remain as Avengers. The rest of you are out. But this one, it was, you know, five of you will remain as Scream Queens. The rest of you are out. Yeah, so we got to go through all the, like, 80s hairstyle reference to just find all these different woman's hairstyles to put, you know, as screen queens all around the cover. Now, tell everyone what a variant cover is for those who are not familiar with comics. All right, well, publishers like to put out multiple covers for a, a single issue. So you would have a main cover, and then you have a variant, usually by, like, a guest artist, or sometimes there's a theme. It's just to make the, the book more sellable. You know, if you'll buy the multiple covers, you know, it, and then the publisher sells more books. Yes. That's only why they do it. You know, some people are fine buying one cover. Other people like like collecting the covers of that issue. You know, it's entirely up, up to the collector or the reader. How long did the process from writing to completion take on this comic? Next Too question, long. please. <laughs> well... <laughs> The writing takes two to three years, and then they draw it in a couple of days. So that's that's my impression of the whole thing. Uh, not quite. <laughs> well, this one was especially long because usually the issues are thirty pages, and this was forty-six. So we had sixteen more pages we had to draw. So it definitely took longer. But they draw yeah, about a page a day. Yeah, yeah. Which is out. It's outrageous. And they do all the the uh, lettering by hand as well. Yes, we're old-fashioned that way. You used Indiegogo to fund the printing of this issue. Either you or the publishing company. Tell me why Indiegogo is used more often for funding printing of comic books. Money. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that question. It, the, the campaign is run 
by American Mythology, the publisher. Um, I don't know why they chose Indiegogo, but I I believe it's because there there are more people on Indiegogo who who are looking for this type of project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Rather than movies or um, gadgets, technology. I don't know. But you know the the idea. I, I mean, you know, going through the COVID era, you know, when when comic books shops were closed or open, but no customers were willing to go in there. Um, you know, they they had to come up with some other way of making sure the copies got out. And you know, this was this was a good plan to to get this in front of the public's eyes and and get people interested in purchasing the, the product, even if they're not able to go to a store or willing to go to a store. So you know, it it worked, and it's something that'll probably keep going forward um, from from here, even even if we uh, are completely done with COVID now or in the future. Yeah, and it helps generate revenue for the publisher. You know, every penny helps. Yeah, because the fact of the matter is, American Mythology Productions is not Marvel or DC. They're doing what they can to keep the books alive. Yeah, and so are we. We we donate all our salary back to them just just to make sure that that they do well. Uh, at least I do. Sal- salary? Well, what at least salary? I do. You know, I've I've already got my millions. I don't need a million off of every copy like we've been getting. Oh. We. Oui. <laughs> What's next for the Sonia Devereaux series? Todd? Uh, we are uh, in the process of writing the next script, which is uh, a movie called Alien Queen's Revenge, which is a sequel to a movie called Alien King. And uh, like like each of the previous comic books, um, all, our, all our books have real actors and actresses in them, or most of them do. Um, and uh, this one is going to be no exception. Can we can we tease who it's going to be or tell who it's going to be in the next yeah, week, time? We could say who it's going to be. Why not? Right. Go ahead. She's a friend of yours. Um, Zinia Angelina Seberg. Jolie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Zinia Seberg from the uh, sci-fi show Lex and David Blue from Stargate Universe. Cool. So cool. Todd and I had actually done a film years ago wrote, produced, Todd directed a film um, that uh, Sonia was in. I mean, Xenia. I'm sorry, Xenia was in. It was her first um, USA film. So so from there, you know, she's willing to work with us again. I guess we did something right. We don't know her. <laughs> Besides this series, what other projects each of you are working on or have soon to be released? Uh, Frame Bros, we did the artwork pages in the Overstreet Free Comic Book Day issue that'll be out on Free Comic Book Day in May. Uh, we did pages that are going to be in the Overstreet Price Guide. Uh, we're working on, uh, Vampire PA sequel series. Well, at least that's all in comics, I think. And we're doing a lot of fan commissions and pri- per- private drawings for fans and stuff. They're I'm very uh, busy. They're very yes. in demand. Yes, I'm. I'm always slowly working on um, film scripts, which will never see the light of day. Oh, we keep telling you nobody wants to see film strip. <laughs> funny. How do you guys <laughs> come up with this? That stuff? was a good joke. Got to write that down, Nick. <laughs> yes, good joke. We'll yeah, write gonna... that down and we'll send it to you in a year. <laughs> <laughs> and Todd, didn't you just finish what the Grammys or I just something crazy on the like Grammys. that? Yeah. What did you do? Uh, I was the production supervisor for a, 
a, a Grammy's offshoot show. It's a, it's a show that is uh, produced by the Recording Academy who do the Grammys. Um, it's called Music Cares, and it's a charity that helps musicians in need. And every year they choose a person of the year, uh, a, a veteran artist, an influential artist uh, to honor, and this year it was Joni Mitchell. So wow. there were... Next yeah. didn't win. About 20 performances of artists performing Joni Mitchell songs for a big gala dinner. There's one every year. Nice. No, cool. no this was the 30th annual Nick not winning. Uh, <laughs> guys, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> There's always next my, year. <laughs> my time will come. Um, so um, have we have we heard if we're nominated for any awards this year? Not yet. Don't jinx it. Okay. I'm, I'm knocking on some wood right now. Um, when when do those nominations come out? Later. Don't do <laughs> Later tonight? <laughs> At some point in the future. All right. If, I'm not too what? Distant if we future. win, I'm going to slap somebody. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, we have, you have to slap somebody first and then win. That's the way it works, Todd. Yeah, slap them in a good way. How can they find Sonia Devereaux? In each of you on social media. Well, you can find the starring Sonny Devereaux comic books at AmericanMythology.net. That is the publisher's website. Yeah, she has her own page on their website. Yeah, it's right there. You can find it easy. Uh, the Frame Brothers were on Facebook at, at uh, the art of Brendan and Brian Frame and then Instagrams, the Frame Brothers. And we have our own website, which is brosframe.com. Uh, Sonia is on Facebook, starring Sonia Devereaux. Uh, she's got her own Instagram account as well. Um, I'm, I'm on, face, I'm on is, Facebook. What? Which is starring Sonia Devereaux. Her starring Sonia Devereaux. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on Facebook uh, with both my personal and comedian Nick Kapitanakis. And then on Instagram, I'm author Nick. I'm, I'm Todd Livingston everywhere. Everywhere I go. I'm Todd Livingston. Everywhere he goes, people say, there goes Todd Livingston. That's the Todd Livingston? <laughs> the Todd Livingston. Let me, Todd Livingston. Let me just let me just say this on this um, uh, family-friendly podcast. It smells so much like weed where I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> Are you in Los Angeles? No. I'm sure that's not a coincidence. <laughs> it's very weedy here. Wow. That's my favorite breakfast cereal. Wheaties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. That I think They're there was. Fake. I think there was something that Full Moon <laughs> did one time with like a Wheaties box for I think one of their, I think Evil Bong films or something. Hmm. Maybe. I don't yeah. know. I, I love Full Moon stuff though. Well, Nick, Todd, Brandon, and Brian are all. Thank you for coming on to this podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Thank you Anthony. You're welcome, and have a good day. You too. Uh, you, you, too. Too. you too. Every day there's a family struggling with hospital bills to care for their sick child who is fighting an illness. There's a woman who is fighting breast cancer and is having trouble making ends meet while paying for their treatment. And there are burn victims that are going through treatments to heal their deep wounds. There is a charity in the horror community that helps these people. Scares That Care is an organization that helps families deal with the bills for their child. They help women 
get the treatment they need to fight breast cancer and they help people who are dealing with severe burns get the help they need to heal. Scaresack Care is a 100% volunteer organization and 501c3 nonprofit charity that is dedicated to helping these people in fighting real monsters. To find out more information or to donate to Scares That Care, you can go to www.scaresthatcare.org. Every donation helps Scares That Care fight real monsters. You'll find Anthony T's horror and wrestling show on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Instagram, and the Slasher app at Amputees Power and Wrestling, and on Twitter at Amputees Power. You'll find new episodes on DocDiscussions.com, major podcast providers, and YouTube. What's Anthony T. watching? Well, before I get into the film, I've been starting to watch more horror films as it's starting to pick up the pace now with the horror releases. As I've been recently watching stuff on Shudder and Netflix. Some of it's now becoming a mistake. Because I have, right now, three one-star films. And we are already at the beginning of May. Last year, I had four one-star films. Then the year before that, I had three one-star films and a half-a-star film. Yes, remember Glenn Danzig's Veronica? That was a half-star film, everyone. This year alone, I already have three one-star films. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Choose or Die, which is currently on Netflix. That's a horrible film. But I will not be talking about that film. Instead, I will be talking about a film that's on Shudder called See For Me. Now, this is a film I had promised for because, well, this is from IFC Midnight. Usually, IFC Midnight usually puts out decent stuff to the point where I would enjoy it. Well, it was not the case for See For Me because this film was just flat-out horrible. And this is a film that should have at least been a three-star film. At least. Now, let me read you the synopsis. When a blind former skier, Sophia, cat sits in a secluded mansion, three thieves invade for the hidden safe. Sophia's only defense is an army veteran, Kelly. Kelly helps Sophia defend herself against the invaders to survive. Okay, maybe this is going to be a little more in this. Maybe this will be a good solid film. Maybe it'll be a little suspenseful. Instead I got none of it because the lead character in this film is so annoying. And I don't want to say that. Seriously. You could do a lot of good things with a good lead character with a disability. This film just does not do it at all. Instead, it just makes the main character so annoying that I could not take her. Literally. It's like the way the character is written is not the fault of the actress. As she tries her best to do her job in making this work. 
But it's not her fault. This film has a very bad screenplay from Adam York and Tommy Gushu. As the writers really do not do a good job in making the characters likable in this film. As this is literally maybe only one character that's likable. And that's it. If that. It just feels like a film filled with unlikable characters. You have your lead character who's just annoying. Who hates everyone. You've got thieves that are just one dimensional. Not intimidating. And you have Kim Coates, who does not do a good job as the villain of this film. I'm sorry. It just feels flat. And a lot of it goes to Randall Oitka's direction. If I'm pronouncing his name wrong, I apologize. Because I really think the direction is very flat here. This film feels like a TV movie. Doesn't feel like a Don't Breathe ripoff. Even though it's supposed to be a Don't Breathe ripoff. But it doesn't feel like a Don't Breathe ripoff. It's it's just boring. I was bored for 90 minutes. I never cared about the lead character. And when you have a character with disabilities, you should be able to make that character likable. That is easy. It's very hard to screw that up. And the writers of this film screwed that up royally. There is no need for a character to just be unlikable. Spoiler alert. At one point in this film, she wanted a pot of the money. That's not what a good guy wants, a protagonist. She felt more like an antagonist in some pots. I don't get it. Seriously. It troubles me when you're writing a film with disabilities and there's no positivity from that character. Seriously. It's just, I don't get it. Seriously. This is TV of the movie week here. And it's not even done right. It's just a waste of 90 plus minutes. It's one of those movies that has a convincing trailer to make you want to see the film. But in all reality, this is just a really, really bad film. And very poorly executed. If this this is going to be a long year, seriously. Three one-star films, and I'm already in May. Let's see how many one-star films come out of 2022, seriously. Because quite frankly, this may not be a good year when you have too many one-star films. But maybe I'm wrong, and everything will start to pick up and be great. I can hope. Yours truly will be starting a new podcast with the filmmaker Andrew Durand, whom I had on my podcast on episode 74. It's going to be called Two From Hell. It's going to be very different from this podcast, as we're going to talk about horror films in general, instead of me just doing what I do pretty much on this podcast. This podcast is not going away, so do not worry. I will still be doing this podcast. But that's a quick heads up. That should be dropping sometime this month. Maybe before next episode of Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show. You can follow more information on that podcast at facebook.com slash 2 from hell podcast. 
Don't forget to like and subscribe. And with that, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Ditcher, Spotify, and the YouTube channel. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a good day. Support indie wrestling and support indie horror.